need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com. Today is a very special episode. I am joined by the Babe Ruth of podcasts, the greatest podcast guest in the Ringer universe, Joe House. That, that is a way overstating it, but I, I do have more than one interest. Uh, food isn't a big interest. The hoops is an interest. We're, I'm doing some golf, Little apparently. Shack house. We got the Shack House co-host here, so golf's yeah. there. But I'm happy to have this occasion to talk a little bit of music because one of the things um, that was a, of, of great joy to me uh, very early in our relationship when you were a Grantland dude, Chris Ryan, was finding out about you all your old school punk rocks because that's how I came up. Yeah, man. That so was... Joe and I want to talk a little bit today about DC punk rock. Yeah. Because we found out that we have this mutual love for it. Joe lived it. I just kind of was a huge fan of it. But Joe, that's what I wanted to kind of start out with is that uh, I wanted to hear a little bit about how you got into DC punk rock in the first place because you're from there. I'm from DC, right? So I, I didn't, uh, I, I missed um, the the sort of early days. Like my entry point into um, the DC scene was honestly post hardcore because I missed Minor Threat, I missed Void, I missed Teen Idols, I missed like the early iteration. Yeah. Those dudes are all like five or six years older than me. Okay. Um, uh, Ian Mackay and and Henry Rollins who grew up in DC. I didn't. I wasn't around for that era. I came in uh, at the at the onset of Dag Nasty. Okay. Um, the I, I came, It was just post Rites of Spring. So post Revolution Summer. Post Revolution Summer. So for the listeners who maybe don't know, what was Revolution Summer? That was like a summer of real like activism. It in was. DC, that's right. right. And and in a way that became um, a prevailing theme, certainly for for all of the time that I uh, consumed the DC music scene, and then sort of onward, and and that um, activism. Um, uh, coalesced in the positive force um, group. Mark Anderson still heads that up. They still do um, benefits. And there's there was a documentary I think last year about positive force DC. Yeah, and they I, had there was a bunch of that stuff in Sonic Highways when Grohl the Foo Fighters documentary when it did the DC episode positive for, force was in there. Yeah, for sure. And Salad Day is also another documentary yeah. that came out recently about the DC music scene. Also covered some of this. I joined Positive Force DC uh, in my late high school, early college years and participated in some of that activism but Re well, you asked about revolution summer yeah that was kind of uh um just a a, a moment in the air when a group of kids and and that's the, the 84 right? right yeah 84 85 um was the time frame uh and a group of kids who were doing um bands getting in and out of bands creating bands disassembling bands um recognize the opportunity uh, living in the nation's capital yeah. to go express a political point of view and when they were there was a lot of noise um, protests at various embassies um, South African embassy yeah with the right. apartheid -apartheid stuff. yeah was was a definitely a target um, and uh, I, I you know they they just took a, a, a political point of view a political stance and took the opportunity of that summer to go um, you know express their their views not only through the music, but also through um, public activism. Yeah. Point, like, where were you? In, you're in high school, right? Yes. You, you're into sports. Right. You're just like a kid. Now, what, what like, this is pre-internet. And this is the thing that was sort of, well, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was, like, the way we found out about this stuff, the way we got kind of pulled into punk rock at, at young ages. 
how did you start hearing about these bands? Was it friends who were in bands telling you about it? Did you see flyers? Like, what was going on? So the point of entry probably was skateboarding. Okay. Um, I had a, a buddy that was um, very good at skateboarding. I was terrible at skateboarding. <laughs> uh, I, I tried. I, I, I had barely passable skateboarding skills. But... Um, in fact, he went on to to some acclaim. There was a magazine called Slap Magazine that he ended up being an editor for and, and uh, taking pictures for for a lot of years. So who was this? Uh, my buddy Lance Dawes oh, was cool. his name. Yep, um, grew grew up across the street from me. Um, was in San Francisco for a while. Was here in L.A. for a while. Um, I think he's back in D.C. now. We kind of haven't been in touch for a couple of years, but um, he was like the the gateway and. Uh, he, you know, part of that skateboarding um, ethos includes, you know, wanting to do music is a, is a big part of it because, you know, you're in a in a single place skating. You want something on in the background. We had, um, you know, boom boxes with cassette tapes in them playing music. And uh, so he he was really the, um, the the one who introduced me in the first place uh, to like I guess you know whatever you would call it the hardcore back yeah. then right yeah uh, uh, and it was really California hardcore that was the entry point like black uh, like flag a- and SST adolescence stuff. Yeah, okay. um, descendants um, that kind of stuff yeah and um, we uh, we came to like mutually recognize there's a there you know minor threat um, was. On, on the mixtape, sure. of course. Yeah. So uh, minor, th- we were like instant fans of Minor Threat, and that was really the entry point in like say eighty five to um, the scene. And there were shows going on in DC. There was like three or four or five venues where you you could go see shows as a kid. Um, so this is where you know the whole um, black X's on hands things appeared. They were that was because uh, it was an all ages show. It was an all ages show. Was this like nine thirty club? Nine thirty club was a venue. DC Space was a venue. There was a um, um, a big hall called the the WUST um, Radio Music Hall that is now uh, now houses the current um, nine thirty club. Okay. The old nine thirty club was um, further downtown in what was uh, a red light district, which is a really thing funny thing to say in two thousand sixteen. Yeah. Well, I imagine like any city. What city yeah, has right. a red light district anymore? Yeah. You even know? London, like when you, it's like kind of touristy over there. Yeah. yeah. Right. But um, so that 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 you know friend across the street skateboarding we're in we're liking the music and then i found kids at my high school um that were also into the music and kids at my high school that were forming bands and playing did you respond to it politically did you respond to it because it was fast and loud did you respond to it because you were just like looking for like maybe a subculture to attach to i i I think um that last point um was definitely an element of it uh i was i was running cross country Mm -hmm. and track um in high school and so there's a lot of opportunity as a runner yeah to um you know put on headphones i had a walkman uh i had to carry it it was a physically heavy thing you couldn't really wear it around a belt or anything like that but um uh that uh a lot of alone time was something that that certainly was um an element of it working class um family in a time when there was a, a significant middle class in in dc a working class in dc made up of folks whose parents like work for the government um largely yeah. you know it's no uh 
uh, it's not a manufacturing town. The government is the industry in Washington, D.C. And so um, there was a lot of kids like me whose parents um, were not uh, white collar. They were, you know, prof- pro- professionals working for the government. Uh, and so that kind of um, commonality informed a lot of the kids that I got to be friends with. Yeah. Um, and, and then... Were um, you guys straight edge? Uh, I... I had uh, early in my high school career, you know, experimented with uh, substances. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm but, not trying to make this sound like a Mark Maron bot. I was running, just wondering. The running kind of x that out for me. Yeah. Like once I started running year round, I I couldn't. Uh, that 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 became the drug of choice. Yeah, and you were already so you were already worse straight edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, at that point in time, straight edge wasn't really a th- a thing. Um, we understood and recognized. Those, so the, 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 the guys, um, you know, Mackay and uh, his brother and the other sort of um, big figures in the D.C. music scene at that time um, are all one generation ahead or, you know, six years, seven years, eight years older. So we did look up to them in a way. And yeah. so their um, aesthetic uh, in terms of the way they conducted themselves, you know, not dudes who wore crazy clothes. It was T-shirts and shorts or T-shirts and jeans, not guys who wore crazy shoes and i mean creepers were around back then yeah. but that wasn't the the um ethic that these guys um pursued uh, or dress code you know not ethic um but uh the 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 um overwhelming motivating kind of um animus was you know uh, doing things yourself and yeah. that's what was really compelling it was like these are guys that are sort of contemporaries of ours they're our peers and they're playing his shows and putting out the records themselves and you know we knew about discord and we knew where discord records existed it's on a street you know in in, in downtown dc and then yeah. the discord house where the guys lived um over in in arlington that was enormously um, interesting and compelling and like the thing that made it feel like a community was these dudes just doing it themselves yeah. like not no barriers to entry just doing it because they wanted to do it and they didn't feel uh hamstrung by you know needing to go out and find a record label or we need to go get radio play or any of that shit it was just we're gonna make the music because we like making the music and we'll record it and it'll be on tapes and we can share the tapes and you know it's a group of friends that that was started it and then the group of friends grew larger and it was interesting and all kinds of like offshoots within the dc community um bands like unrest bands like uh, because those other labels started popping up teen beat pops up simple machines precisely precisely yeah yeah, exactly it's crazy uh, you know like so my story is very I, you know, it came a little bit later out of high school. So like I moved to Boston and I had already started to kind of, so I, my, my entry to point to a lot of this stuff was actually thinking about it in terms of rock criticism. So I was always just like this huge fan of, of, of music journalism and writing about records. And I became very like, you know, curious about the canon. And, and if you read like the spin alternative guide, some of those records, like the, my, the first minor threat record or bad brains, obviously, and rights of spring and embrace are talked about in these hallowed terms. So I had like a concept of that being in a museum, kind of like these things that were important, but I don't think I truly understood like the power of being part of one of those communities until I got to Boston for college. And, you know, I was, I was into indie rock, I was into alternative rock, but I wasn't really ever part of something like that. And then I met some guys at Emerson and I went to, they had a house up in Mission Hill, which is like 
you know, a little bit past um, Symphony Hall in Boston. And it's like, I was up in, up in, in a hill, like really far up. And I went to their house one day and they were having a, sh- a show. It was during the day. And it was like, as soon as you get up there, it's like the classic story. Like you start approaching, you hear the bass drum from down the street. Like you can hear it, but like, yeah. and you're just like, this is weird. There's not, there are no bars here. These are just houses. These yep. guys are having a show. And then you start to see the people, uh-huh. you know, kids sitting on curbs yeah. and like some weird guy who got too drunk at three o'clock in the <laughs> afternoon. who's like passed out <laughs> on a skateboard and, you know, you get up and closer and closer and I got I went into the show and I saw the guys from my class. It was like a creative writing class and they were like, Hey man, like what's going on? And it was um a couple of Boston bands. It was like six going on seven. And there was this band playing and they were good. They were like there was like they were kinda like emo y punk rock bands playing. And immediately I was just like, I can't believe that this is happening. Yeah. Because these people all look like me, like they like look like college kids, but they're putting out records like they had seven inches for sale and they have t-shirts for sale and they are doing this thing and then this band the vehicle birth played and vehicle birth were this kind of almost mythological band in boston with i think every city had one of these bands at that time where it was like yeah like and then i grew to found out they were totally normal guys but when you see them you're just like oh yeah those guys like they don't ever go to sleep guys that you just like are really like really almost scared of and so they played and i think that they were playing like some seven minute song they put out one album um back back in the 90s and they played like some seven minute song and like at the breakdown of it like the singer tore his pants off and just did the rest of the song like in his boxers with sunglasses on (laughs) i'm not doing a great job describing it but i was Uh, like where the fuck are these guys from? and somebody was like oh man those guys are from dc Huh. And they were from DC, but they were living there. And I wound up like getting to know those guys a little bit, but I was like just blown away by it. Cause I was like, these guys are just so authentically on their own wavelength. And that was the thing that was so strange back. It's so hard sometimes to reconcile this now because all we, we do so much just naturally because of what we have, like self-promotion. You're right. always trying to like make sure that the most people possible are like hearing your podcast or reading your article or doing this. And the idea that basically like there was part of that, like you did, you weren't ever saying like, I don't want somebody to hear it. I don't think that anybody had a choice. Like I think if you had asked a lot of like of my friends back in Boston, like, oh, do you want your song to be used in a movie or a car commercial? Like they would actually be like, I don't know. Right, sure. That's not really why I do it. Right. And I'm not, they weren't like, monks but that was just like it was crazy to no, put your I, song right and like, so the idea that you would just do anything it took to get your music to as many people is not what it was about and it was such a, it's such a different thing now to think about like how music must get put out there i mean i know that there are scenes out there but it's i guess i get nostalgic and everybody always thinks that their way was the best way oh and well look you know there there's um the the sociological study that that, that is re- residing there yeah. is like why how and why did that work yeah. how and why was it that a group of kids you know kind of just said fuck it we're going to do this and it became you know a a thing all across the country SST out in, out here yeah. in California was you know Greg Ginn and and the Black Flag um, dudes wanting to do their own thing and it was happening like roughly coincident with Discord in DC getting up off the the the, the ground and yeah. doing its thing and it would be like four or five guys who put their money together and bought a two thousand dollar van that was guaranteed to die 
once it got west of the Mississippi River. Right. But they would still be like, okay, we're going to go on a summer tour for like five weeks and just play people's houses. And and put put out records. Yeah. We're just going to put it out. We're going to find, you know, kind um, folks who will give us some time in a studio. We're going to, uh, you know, at a, at a reasonable price, we're going to find a press, a yeah. record press that will let us do this, you know, nearly at cost because we don't, ha- you know, they didn't have any money. Yeah. Then, and they didn't let that stop them. And they'd sell their records for two or three bucks at their shows right. or to record and, stores. And, that were allowing and put out you know demo tapes one of the the great joys of preparing for this today with you um was going on and and re-listening to the first fugazi demo tape yeah. and remembering how i had how i got that which was just somebody passed me a tape at a show like here's the fugazi demo tape did you know who fugazi was when yeah, you got yeah. it because so, ian was in embrace and Guy was yes, in yeah yeah exactly uh yeah i i was like hot for for, for uh fugazi that was like the the it was right 2012 the, heat of dc punk it, rock it was it was for me it was at the height of my interest in the in the dc music scene and it was as i was going from high school into college so i also had kind of that political activism um moment as well and and when i spent some time with the positive force dudes um but the the so uh we'd heard about fugazi um like roughly coincident with the very first show that they did at this another great uh, music venue in DC that that no longer exists called the Wilson Center, which was the the uh, in the bottom of um, a, of a church, uh, but a great big hall mm-hmm. um, like perfectly suited, and they they did a show. Somebody recorded the show, obviously because that's what you did. You yeah. had your your recorders, and and uh, we heard a little bit of that, and then me and uh, this buddy of mine, Lance like really immediately took the logo that was on the flyer that they'd put out for that show and um, screen screen pressed it no onto um, he made a couple t-shirts and I made um, this, this red sweatshirt I, I'm gonna I, I'd love to go back to my parents house and go up in the attic and see if there is what an amazing like you should give that to the Smithsonian <laughs> I mean it is from 1987 and I wore that um, I, I was lucky to find off in college a friend who also you know like-minded he's from um, uh, Palo Alto um, but he he uh, my very first spring break of, of college, I came out to California and stayed with his family, and we went to, oh my God, I can't believe I'm blanking on it right now, yeah, outside of Berkeley, the famous... Oh, uh, the Gilman. Yeah, Gilman yeah. Street, exactly. Yeah. And I had that, had that and we went to a show at Gilman Street, and so I when had... when is this? 87, okay. uh, spring of 88, and I had a Fugazi thing on, on a sweatshirt, and I had like a half dozen dudes come up to me like, holy shit, Fugazi. That's so funny in retrospect of the this is not a Fugazi t-shirt stuff that came out is that you actually had the Fugazi t-shirt we just did it because we were fans we were fans of of, you know the the music and um, you know we were going to the shows very early on it was like a cool we didn't know at the time you know he had no idea we're just kids who like the music scene in our in our hometown and got to see um, a band that ended up being a pretty important um, you know band for for a full decade yeah. in their first handful of shows it was, it was excellent so i i want to ask about i want to get to our favorite records our favorite dc records but it, it, this this does bring up a good point like you know when i would read about punk rock or just listen to it it had like a certain level of impact but i think the when to truly understand this stuff you have to go see it live oh it's the only way and it it changes 
I mean, it changes the way you look at the world if you go to one of these shows and everything clicks and like you just feel like you lose yourself completely in like a moment with and it, you can feel yourself basically get swallowed up by a group of people and be part of like a community literally in the moment. It's, you know, it's the, one of the most life changing things you can be a part so of. So it's so funny that observation. Uh, I'm on the airplane listening to Fugazi uh, flying out here because I knew we were going to be talking yeah. about this, this stuff in the podcast and what I wrote down that jumped out at me is where the fuck is Fugazi when right. we need him? Right. We're, we're at a, like a, a, a political moment where uh, a band like them who creates, you know, that, that communal feeling you're talking about, but also with like a basic human decency to them yeah. that's, that's authentic and earnest and sincere. Like that's what we need right now. Yeah. They, to, as, as, as an, as a means of of arming ourselves of of putting on armor to to gird ourselves against the constant barrage the relentless barrage of bullshit absolutely god yeah. damn it where's yeah. fugazi when or you need where's something with the ethos of discord you know what i mean like yes. and discord still obviously like you know they put out like i'm pretty sure they've been putting out records like up, all the way up now, yeah for sure but you know, it's funny you should mention their humanism and stuff like that with Fugazi because the other thing that really happens, I think, when a lot of people get into punk rock, and sometimes for better and sometimes for worse, for me, I suppose it was a push. But uh, punk rock can really articulate like a rage that you don't really understand inside of you, like sometimes towards political cases like that. But like I was talking with Greenwald the other day on The Watch, and he was talking about how much he likes Chance the Rapper, and this is like because it's so uh, effusive and positive and has like the gospel elements and i was like yeah i like it too but like sometimes i do like really dark music sometimes i look at music as the place to go to to like articulate darker parts of my person like what? my soul and, and and that's when like when i met so i was working at newberry comics qu pretty quickly into working at living in boston i started working at this record store newberry comics show i think a lot of our listeners would probably have heard of and there was a guy there and he was like, oh, do you like this? Do you like Fugazi? And I was like, I love Fugazi. And I started to get really into this stuff. And he's like, you ever heard Void? And Void is one of like the first Discord bands. They put out a split with this band, Faith. And Void, I, I had never heard of before. And they are, I don't even know, like, could those kids even like get like driver's licenses back then? Like, I don't even know how old they were. I, when they, right. There was 15, they were 15, 16 year olds. You want to talk about mythological bands. Like they just seemed like skate punks from hell like i don't even know <laughs> what happened with void and they had a song called time to die uh -huh. and they like the first line was i'm so fucking full of hate i just want to decapitate yeah and I, I had never really heard music like that before and i never i was never that dark of a person and i'm still not now but i think part of the reason why i am not is because music was always an outlet for stuff like that like you could feel your misanthropy through punk rock That's you know what right. i mean you yeah. could feel your anger against the system through punk rock and it was great to listen to bad brains and have pma and like that's right yeah. you know but it was, sometimes i really wanted like that and I think Ian Mackay felt that way too, or he wouldn't have put that stuff out. Well, that's the thing. Uh, to me, th what's missing is is a real galvanizing um, protest music yeah. moment. Like I, I don't know who I would say, um, you know, it, from any genre um, does protest music the best. Um, but that that's what I think I'm I'm searching for when I when I say where the fuck is Fugazi? Yeah, you know. Can you or do you have like off the top of your head, like a top? Like I'm like a this is I'm in heaven right now show memory like a, a show that was like I'll never forget this yeah I do I do um, have that and 
I, I, I almost feel em- embarrassed to confess it. It was up uh, at the Rocket in Rhode Island, okay. at, in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, uh, Operation Ivy was touring. This is not embarrassing. Yeah. So Operation Ivy and Fugazi played together at the Rocket. Um, my uh, either my sophomore year or junior year of college, on a Sunday afternoon, and. So you're at Holy Cross. You guys drive down to Rhode Island. Yep, exactly. And which uh, is this is also funny because this was like routine, the time in our lives when like routinely driving four hours to go see a show. Oh, uh, <laughs> th- those those stories are legendary. I I drove from Holy Cross to the Anthrax in um, Norwalk, C- Connecticut, in the middle of a snowstorm to see Fugazi and Soulside. Uh, and on, literally on the drive back, it took us four and a half hours to get back <laughs> because we're driving in four inches of snow. It's like you know what are we we doing and it was in one of those uh um pre-beetle volkswagen yeah. i mean the thing had no business being on the road when the when there was nothing on the road you know with, without any precipitation yeah. but there were six of us crammed in that thing we had to go see fugazi it was a saturday night there was just down in connecticut we can get there um but the show that operation ivy fugazi show was remarkable uh and what i re- remember more than anything else was ian coming out and saying because Fugazi ended up headlining. He's like, we have no business coming on this stage after the, what that band just did. After what Soulside did. Uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. Um, Operation Ivy. Oh, but Ivy did. Okay. That, that Operation Ivy Fugazi show at the Rocket in, in, in Providence. Uh, he came on and said, he was like, wow. Yeah. That was incredible. Uh, and then the Fugazi did what they always do, which is, you know, the place own down. the joint. Yeah. Right, exactly. But Operation Ivy was up to it. That was, they were, they were effing incredible yeah uh and i was so happy to see them um live well they only did one record before it spun off and those guys became two of them went off rancid, rancid. yeah exactly. right exactly that, that was that's a, that's a definitely up their show there was also the 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 one a if that's one one a is this um show at uh a johns hopkins um think tank uh place <sighs> in in the city right on mass ave um and that was one of these protests um, moment protest music kinds of shows. It was a fundraiser for uh, I God I can't remember. It, it it was in response to the persecution of a, of of some folks in um, Central America, and it was with Scream when Dave Grohl yeah. was playing, playing drums, drums for, yeah. for Scream, and Scream was incredible. And Fugazi came on after Scream, and people left there like ready to go, you know, to the White House to to, to advance a, a protest. I mean, it was a really galvanizing, um, emotional show because that's, you know, I think that's part of what you're describing. It's like you leave a show so, like, charged up and ready to yeah, go there's do a, big it's, things. It's unlike a feeling. It's hard to describe that feeling when you leave a show and a band is just, like, burn the place down. And it's like you can't hear anything, right? Because real G's don't put in earplugs, <laughs> and your 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 chest almost feels sore because like it's the been so loud. Yeah, has been assaulting you. And then you walk out in that first hit of like night air when you walk out of a club or yes. out of a house or yes. a bar. Yes. Uh, my favorite. It's like pretty. It's not. It's not like a legendary show by any means, but. Um, when I, I went to Ireland to go to school for like six months, so I took like seven CDs, you know, like one of those old CDs. Yeah, right. Uh, this is like 98 or 99. I can't remember. I think it's 99. Beginning of 99, I think. No, it was beginning of 98. And I went to Ireland and I brought, like one of the only CDs I brought was End Hits by Fugazi. Oh, wow. And 
it was like one of those things where now I, you know, I listen to so much music and I breeze through it because of it's so easy and it's so like at my fingertips. But I went to Ireland and I was just like, I'm bringing these seven albums, and if I don't like them, I'm really out of luck. And <laughs> and hits, you know, like I was a kid, so it was like a lot of what they were doing on and hits. I was new to me, but I still think that's one of my my five favorite records ever made. Yeah, and, sure. Um, when I got back, Fugazi was touring with the X. And oh, I saw wow. them in Providence wow. together. Wow. And that was one of those like incredible collaborative shows that I just didn't think I would ever like just to see the X play and then to see Fugazi play so much stuff from end hits wow. and do break into uh place position. Sure. And just like I, I just thought that that was the best rock and roll band I'd ever seen that night. Of and course. Was, still it still is one of the best. All right, we, we don't want to stay too long, so let's talk about some of our favorite records. So I'm gonna let you go first. We'll go back and forth. We'll just talk about some of our favorite DC. We're losing using it loosely. It doesn't have to be Discord. Right. Yeah. Sure. So go go for so it. So it's 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 unfair fair of you to let me go first because i'm gonna put that the rights of spring record up do it as as my that's my number one i have first position in the draft that's my that's my number one mainly because of uh this is going to be a silly thing to say, but this is what happens when you're middle age. It's emotional intelligence. Yeah. It, it was so uh, visceral and palpable and I, I, I don't know. It made it okay to, 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 feel to love, That's to cry, like a, to, you know. That was a thing. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, like, that was the thing where it was like, that was not the number one use of that music back then. Was so, not, right, it was proto-emo, yeah, exactly. right? Yeah. And, and, I, and I I know that, that um, lots and lots of folks in D.C. Have, have never liked that emo label, but um, it was, you know, like heavy music and fast-paced music, but, but nothing about it was hardcore or punk. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know what words you use to describe it, but that's my, my number one. Um, I put that in, in position A. I'm going to put down, this is so, I, I'm, these are like, these are by no means like, you, we can fight. I, I, first of all, I think we should both say, even though it was recorded in New York, self-titled Bad Brains album yes. is the Jordan of this it's a, draft. It's, it's so the you, seminal. Yeah, you take that and you put it over in Valhalla. It yes. gets to eat at the big table. It, it Always. Nobody will ever touch it. It's at the, Did you receive Bad Brains live? In the big chair. I, I saw them live a couple times, but like you later? know, post. Okay, yeah. so like yeah, never not, the... Like, right. They're wearing like paint splattered hospital scrubs. It was the and I, destroying. I people. saw them when they were touring on I against I. Okay, which it has. That's not. That's not exactly like no, two thousand and nine. That's, that's still pretty a, great. And that's not a chump change record yeah. either. It's not. It's got like four great songs or five great songs, but it's it's also not. Um, if you haven't heard that record, if I mean, if you've gotten to minute thirty eight of a DC punk rock record, punk rock podcast, and are just like. I haven't heard the self-titled Bad Brains with the Capitol building with the lightning bolt hitting it. Change it, it just got changed that right now. Yeah, that's right. Do whatever it takes. Yeah, it's on me. You can get it anywhere. Um, another, the first record I'm going to say. You know, we've talked about end hits. We talked about Void. Um, Joe's pick is amazing. I'm going to go with. This is not my. This is not. This, this is not the only record I would say. But 13 Point Plan to Destroy America by Nation of Ulysses. Yes, which was. One of those things where you hear a record and see, like, they had the whole package. That's yeah. the thing with the Nation of Ulysses. And they went on to have bands like The Makeup. But when uh, you, I've seen videos of them, I never got a chance to see them live. But the the art, the lyrics, and the music were so out there and su- such of a piece. And that was one of the coolest things about 
like post-punk bands especially was the way that they would combine all these different elements of being a band like their persona and their their album art and just little like interstitial things between songs to create this world where you were like man like these are like these situationist vegan yeah. radical marxist yeah. Yeah, like right. i don't even know what like and how much of that is a put on and how much exactly of that and, is, and, is... and he's like reading these spoken word things before he plays so yeah. i was always really in the nation of ulysses what's another one you liked with, with good reason i mean i swear um i i love the very first faith record mm. um the one the split ep faith void um has like a a uh you know, uh, an iconic, like, uh, legacy kind of feel to me. But Faith, the standalone Faith record um, was a huge one for me because that, that um, I also never got to see the Faith, but that, that thing fits that same canon. I love that word um, that the uh, Rights of Spring record emanates yeah, from. Yeah, absolutely. So. Let's take a quick break to shout out our sponsors, the Spotify Discover Weekly playlist. Discover Weekly allows you to lose yourself every week in the thrill of new music discovery. Your Discover Weekly playlist is 30 songs long, and they're all songs you didn't know you even loved yet. You get a brand new, unique playlist every Monday, like a weekly birthday present just for you. The playlist is personalized based on your taste. The people who know about and use Discover Weekly love it. Don't forget to save your favorite tracks on Sundays before your playlist refreshes. You don't want to lose that music, so make sure you save them. Go to Spotify.com slash Discover Weekly now to get your playlist. We should do this one now where let's let's do like I, I mean, I was going to say like, you know, there's tons of other bands, especially late period bands that I was really into anything from like Hoover. Sure. I saw Hoover play an amazing show in Boston. Um, they were they were like really out there. They then they incorporated stuff like some dub stuff, which was always one of the coolest things about the DC scene is that you would be watching a punk rock band and then all of a sudden they would have a dub part or a go-go part or a, like a weird country part that you didn't, you know, they, they were, it's, it was a very open church. And that, you know, that was one of the things, a a, a defining characteristic of the DC music scene. There is no defining characteristic of the DC music scene. It's nation of Ulysses. It's, it's unrest. um, It's unrest. Exactly. Tsunami. It's like all that, all kinds of different directions, different kind of experiments off of a whole variety of platforms, a hardcore platform, a dub platform, you know, um, a noise platform, all, all, all all of the above. So, but we've talked about like all these other. So, like, I think Fugazi stands as the sort of Beatles of this this whole thing. And yeah, kind of everything flows to and from them. What on any given day? I know this probably changes. So, what's your top Fugazi album? I um, it really does uh, change. It changes probably like every six months. Right now, I'm in a, a strong. 13 songs frame of okay, mind early yeah, yeah. The early it, all of it is is really resonating with me probably because i just had a birthday okay you know i'm, I'm, so I'm officially this, like, like thinking about it yeah so middle age right now yeah. um that that you know now i'm going back you know 30 years and um the uh n- the combination of the novelty of it but the um, capacity for that music to still strike that emotional chord um, that was you know the thing that sucked me in right away it's it's it, it it's transportive I'm right back there yeah. I'm right back there that's it man even to this day still kind of a chills moment I I was gonna I want to shout out in on the kill taker because that's the record where I feel like they really start to 
become modern Fugazi. Like they, they really are starting to use the studio as an instrument in that record. And it's also the one where I feel like they really get their rhythm of Ian song than Guy song. Yeah. This is something that I've kind of like really miss about bands is when they have two songwriters and an album has four or five songs by each guy. And you can kind of be like, oh, I'm really feeling Ian today. <laughs> and you can listen to one, three, five, seven, and nine, or you're like, I'm really feeling Guy today. So I'm going to go two, four, six, and eight. And Killtaker has absolute jams by both of those guys. Yeah, and you like, know it's funny. I I I've uh, found as I've gotten older that I'm more uh, I'm a Gee Groover. I like are the, you? I like Gee's Groovers, yeah, and I like them across like a lot of different records. He has that MC5 like yeah real rocker for sure undertone. Like, do you like me? Casavetes, uh, you know, um, Walking Syndrome. There's a, uh, a full has, disclosure from from the argument. Oh yeah, these are like. Whatever reason, I don't know how to say it. I just call them Geese Groovers. Yeah. That's and what I'm in for. It's crazy, too, because you think about Ian, and Ian is the front man for one of the most seminal punk rock bands of all time. And then it's great if you watch Instrument, which I can't recommend highly enough. Yeah. It's the film that Fugazi kind of made about their own band with 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 how obviously it's just sort of the official movie about them. And you just it, it really hits home when you watch. It's like Gee wasn't even really playing guitar that much in early Fugazi. Right. And just to watch them evolve as a band and then to just see like he's such a badass and then see Ian just like playing rhythm guitar for Fugazi even though Ian is like Iggy Pop to a lot of people, sure. like you know what I mean. He is like the seminal well, he front. Physically <laughs> looks like it, yeah. You know, it looks yeah. like um, Iggy a little bit, and he has that same f- physicality. Yeah, he's and, so pugnacious, right. and Ian and Guy is so like slithery and like rock god. It's just such a great thunder and lightning combination. You know, it's another thing that's like a testament to to those two strong personalities. We talk about this in the sports context all all the time. How the hell do you have two alpha dogs, right? You have Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. They can't figure it out. But Gee and Ian figured it out. Yeah, I mean, I love a thunder and lightning backcourt, man. I love CJ and and Damian. I love... I mean, it's it's strange. It's it's interesting that we've kind of gotten to a place, I think for a long time in sports, we were like, we got to get all the best guys on the same team. That's the only way you're going to win. And the Heat were like that. And now I feel like we're kind of going to a more flat, like, no, you can't rock the boat too much. Spurs, Hawks, system-based stuff. Sure. And uh, in music, it's interesting, too, because it's like I haven't seen a band in a long time that has like the two songwriter, but it's like the two-headed Hydra hit. I know. I, I can't even come up with a good uh, a good example of it. Yeah. So okay. So the last one I want to ask is what's the what's the obscure Joe House recommends like a personal favorite that maybe is not that big that you that you think people should check out if they have Marginal it? Man. Okay. Mar- Marginal Man is that 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 has uh from the beginning of the record to the end and it's uh eponymous i don't think it um you know this is a, when did it come out 86 85 86 um they were incredible live in fact it's the band with um senator Inouye's son oh, kenny wow. Inouye played, yeah. played guitar for marginal man you know, i don't think i ever actually listened to marginal man holy f you know they 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 show up in weird places they were um in some jackass uh some of the early okay. jackass production stuff there there you see you hear their music sometimes in old skateboarding stuff there's like the old tony hawk videos that have some they'll slide in when they're just running through 
um, you, you, you know, uh, four or five minutes of straight shots of various skate stuff, and yeah. they're just running a background, you know, 30-second music clips on top of it. You'll hear some Marginal Man okay. in there. But that's a Joe House recommend. That's a deep dive Joe House it. recommend. I think I'll probably throw on a late-period one, yeah. which is Black Eyes. It came out in, like, 0203. Black Eyes awesome. And they were, like... They brought it, and for, they had. Sure. A, they have a song called "A Pack of Wolves." I love, and they were just like one of those. Like that was that was also like a really cool. Like Ian McKay still puts out dope records. Yeah, it, right. You know, he's like he's he's in Fugazi. He's in the Hall of Fame. He doesn't have to do anything anymore. Uh, and he's still out there seeing young bands and putting out their records. You know, we just did 35, 40 minutes. We didn't even talk about Q and Not You, which I know, ended man. up being, you know, a spectacular. Um, Th- those, they were great. I We didn't even mention Jawbox and right. DeSoto Records. And, right. Like, there's so much stuff to discover. We'll put together a Spotify playlist for people to check out based on this. Thanks so much for doing this, House. It was a long time coming. My dude, uh, we've been talking about it for a couple years. I loved it. Thank you. All right. Want to say thanks to Spotify Discover Weekly for sponsoring us today. I love my weekly Spotify Discover Weekly playlist. Every week, I just go to that tab in Spotify. It's right there. I'm like, oh, these are bands I like, but songs I didn't know I love. These are new bands of songs I've never heard before. It's all tailored to your taste. It just pulls from what you've been listening to on Spotify. It allows you to lose yourself every week in the thrill of new music discovery. Your Discover Weekly playlist is 30 songs you didn't know you loved yet, and you get a brand new unique playlist every Monday personalized to your taste. Go to Spotify.com slash Discover Weekly now to get your playlist. 